You are listening to the regular version of Sexy Marriage Radio, smrnation.com. Welcome to the show. I'm Dr. Corey Allen alongside my wife, Pam. Each and every week we explore the wisdom and skills of just some smart people. And today is no exception. Uh, yeah, it's, I like surrounding myself with people that are smarter than me. <laughs> <laughs> I understand that. We explore topics that every relationship faces, and we seek to offer a framework and practical advice that you can use to build a deeper understanding of how relationships work. And then we help you frame your conversations to propel you into being more passionately married. If you're new to the show or you're looking for a simple way to tell your friends about SMR, Check out the episode starter packs, collections of our favorite episodes organized by topic, and they help new listeners get a taste of everything we do here on the show. You can find all of them at smrnation.com forward slash starter. If you got some feedback for us or something we've missed, because we miss things, right, Pam? I mean, where we say Mm. things and it's heard the wrong way. Mm. I miss some things. I'll go ahead and own that. My wife (laughs) never misses anything. Send Uh, us a message or call the show at 214-702-9565 or email us at feedback at sexymergeradio.com. So coming up on today's regular free version and extended version because everybody gets the full show today. Wow, what Uh, a deal. We're joined by Dr. Sean McDowell and we dive into his book, Chasing Love, Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture. And it's a fantastic conversation about how teachings on the subject of sex and purity and the way the church has handled it, it just can create some problems and beliefs mm-hmm. that we bring going into a marriage and then discover, whoa, that's not quite what I thought it was. Yeah. So all that's coming up on today's show. So joining me today for Sexy Marriage Radio is Dr. Sean McDowell, um, and you've got a hundred, a lot of books out there. You've got a history of uh, prolific writing in your family. You've got a history of prolific speaking in your family. I mean, so we could go all kinds of different ways, but where I want to dovetail and, and hone in with you, Sean, today is you wrote a book, uh, Chasing Love, Sex, Love, and Relationships in a Confused Culture, and that's where I want to go, and and I'm glad to have you kind of help navigate this conversation, Sean. So welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I've been looking forward to this since I saw the invitation come through. I'm like, sexy radio sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of the hope is that I mean, maybe we all we all could live sexy lives. Uh, I, I believe that the Sexy Marriage Radio Nation are the sexiest people on the planet, and and it's largely because it's a mindset, and and some of it is also a path that we're on that that generates and creates some really good things. And so you you have it's it's interesting because um to kind of set the stage for our conversation, Sean, this might help the audience too, is um most of the message of Sex and Marriage Radio is really aimed at people that have been married long enough to where the shine has come off mm. and marriage has hit the ground running in a sense. You know, one of the phrases I came across years ago was the moment you wake up one morning and roll over and wonder if you made a mistake, that's when marriage really mm. begins, right? That that's, mm. that's all of a sudden like, this is not what was I was led to believe. You are, you are tackling this with the younger generation on just what are some of the frameworks of what this really is rather than what's proposed by the world. And I'm guessing that was a lot of the impetus for this book. Yeah, that's exactly right. Partly what motivated me are Scotty, Shauna, and Shane, 
my three kids who are 18, <laughs> 15, and 10. Okay. And just seeing how much this conversation has shifted, seeing the messages they're getting from Hollywood, on social media, from their friends, from their culture, and kind of feeling like there wasn't a single biblically-based book well-written that didn't propagate some bad ideas that we saw coming out of right. you know, what's been called purity culture. Right. And that's just biblical but straightforward. So I kind of wrote it for my own kids, really, to start off with, and I've just found there's a lot of people hungry for a message like this. But second, I also wrote it for other parents just as a tool to have these conversations with their kids. Right. And so let's let's set the stage because not everybody might be aware. I mean, most people at Sex and Marriage Radio are going to be familiar with the, the purity culture or the fact that the church has done a horrific job <laughs> with this topic of sex and sexuality by just not touching it. At least that's my experience, my opinion. It's been way too silent, which I think human nature becomes if we're silent on something, we immediately go negative with it. Well, it must be bad. We can't, we can't talk about it. So what, what, is, what's your experience with this? Cause I, I catch me up too on how, how you've seen how sex, uh, the purity culture and the way we've handled this in the history as a brotherhood, if you will, has impacted life. Yeah. So part of my experience here is that my father, who maybe some of your audience would be familiar with Josh McDowell in the 1980s, led the first global sexual purity campaign called Why Wait. Okay. And this, as far as I remember, this is basically while I was growing up. So I'm hitting puberty while my dad is writing books, making curriculums right. around the world. And the big impetus of that was, he said a couple things. Number one, coming out of the 60s and 70s and into the AIDS scare, there were concerns with a message of the culture we had to respond to. But more so, what he saw was the primary message within the church was negative about sexuality. Right. Sex is bad. Or like you said, they just totally ignored it. Either way, we're <laughs> right. dropping the ball. Right. So he's like, let's take this on. And his approach was for every negative commandment in the Bible, such as thou shalt not be sexually immoral, there's two positive ones, to protect and to provide. So this was probably 80s into the 90s, and really purity culture started late 90s into the 2000s. Mm -hmm. So that kind of piggybacked off of what my father was doing, but went some different directions. So all that is to say, there's some nuances I might approach differently for my dad, and we've talked this through. But as a whole, my parents talked with me openly. They talked honestly. They talked early about issues of sexuality. Mm -hmm. And although I've made plenty of mistakes in my life <laughs> and had to correct myself like everybody, right. I'm really grateful for that. Right. And to this day, see the fruits and benefits in my marriage of that kind of conversation. Now, in the church, I've seen a lot of abuse of this, you know, that we could talk about and where I think some of purity culture went bad. Yeah. But my background is if parents will talk openly, if they'll talk honestly, if they'll go to scripture, it, it frees kids up because the Bible has something to say about all areas of life, especially sexuality. Yeah, and so let, let's do that then. Let's let's talk about the the negative side of this, of of some of the impact, okay. and then let's also talk about the other side because I'm I'm on the same page in the sense that as parents, we need to be the primary outlet or source for this kind of information. 
I, I believe that of just it, there, it needs to be modeled in a sense of healthy ways I conduct myself in marriage, healthy ways I model for my kids, healthy ways I talk about this subject, healthy ways I'm not afraid of this subject because every all of it is anxiety produce, producing, right? I mean, we just right, had this, right. we just had this roll down in our family two weeks ago. I have a 17 and a 15 year old, and the 15 year old invited out, asked the girl out to homecoming, first time, first date. First official, wow. and you could see the angst on on his face. On I think I'm going to do this, and he did, and he got into it, and it was fun. And then he came home from it, and then I saw the angst of now. What do I do? I'm not quite sure what I've just gotten myself into, and I'm like, oh, I so understand that, buddy. I was there too. I was scared to ask her out, and then when she said yes, I got even more scared because it's like, uh oh, now what am I opening up? So when you're talking about the aspect as a whole, though. The negatives that you've seen from this that we yeah. were trying to overcome or combat. What what do you see? So one of the things that uh, purity culture has been called is the sexual prosperity gospel, and the message that was given was if you just don't have sex outside of marriage. But that never was really defined. <laughs> by the way, <laughs> just don't yeah. have sex outside of marriage. Right. Yeah, and we know that's a whole nother conversation, yeah, but with sex, kids, you've got to define it. The word sex means all yes. kinds of things depending to the different people. Absolutely. Yep. 100%. That if you don't do that, there was kind of a script that said, when you get married, you'll have awesome sex. Right. And it'll be endless sexual bliss and you'll have a lot of kids in a wonderful marriage. Right. Well, that happened for some people, but for an awful lot of people, it didn't. So I interviewed... Um, a woman by the name of Rachel Joy Welcher. And she wrote what I think is the single best critique of purity culture. If you haven't had her on the show yet, you would be okay. fascinated to interview her. And it's called Talking Back to Purity Culture. Okay. And she followed that script. She did everything. Her pastor, her parents blessed it. But then if I'm not mistaken, you know, maybe five years into marriage, her husband becomes an atheist and leaves her in her 20s. Okay. Now, that doesn't fit the script of right. what the church promised. Right. Now, some people will leave the church. Sure. You know what? Emotionally, that's understandable. Sure. But she's like, maybe I was given a, a, a sexual ethic that doesn't match up with what Jesus taught. <laughs> Went back to square one. So part of the problem of purity culture is it made things formulaic. Right. It was a kind of prosperity gospel that the evangelicals who preach this are quick to denounce the financial prosperity gospel. And it just sets people up for failure. So that's one problem. Uh, another one is sometimes it focused more on the behavior and dress of the girl right. than it did the guy. Right. So it communicates the message that the girl is a sex object and in discussions about modesty can kind of put a shaming message that a girl is responsible for the sexual behavior of a guy. Mm -hmm. And that's imbalanced and it's not right and can unnecessarily create some shame. So I think there's just better ways of talking Ab about each one of those. Absolutely, because the other side of this, and this is what I've seen and come across uh, more and more regularly now, is it also that that framework where the the woman is responsible for managing a man's drive, if you will, or his desires. It, it also paints men as we are yes. just barely above a canine, 
in the sense that we can't control ourselves at all. <laughs> Left to our own mm. devices, uh, there would be no moral compass involved. And that that's demeaning to both sides of the equation. I, I think that's right. I mean, I remember hearing when I was a kid, my dad said, he goes, son, if a lady walks naked in front of you, you're still responsible for what you do with your <laughs> eyes and your body and how you treat this person. Right. And I was like, okay, I can't shift the blame to anybody mm -hmm. else. And so I think when it comes to issues like modesty, there's better ways of talking about this. No, I, like, that's great. Like we love God with our minds and we love God with our bodies. How do I dress in a way that respects myself? How do I dress in a way that loves my neighbor? Just framing it that way, mm -hmm. I think is more biblical and it's more healthy than saying if you happen to wear a two-piece at camp, you know, that's the sin that falls. And I'm not saying right. it's not ever not wise to have standards. No. But you see the point where I'm going. There's better ways of talking about this than maybe we've done in the past. Right. Because there's there's this I mean, that that's that's the framework I love, I think, the most is is its personal responsibility. That I there are situations that occur that are beyond what I can control but I'm responsible for how I respond to those things, how I engage in those things. How am I aware and looking out for those around me? How am I caring for those around me? Or how am I tending the garden of, the, of what's around me and the people mm. that are around me? Because I think all of that is, is it's then, it impresses upon each of us to do our part and also be aware of those we are around. Amen. I'm with you on that. And that responsibility goes across the board, mm -hmm. men, women, young, old. This holiday season, I'm giving thanks to my friends at Manscaped. I always want to make sure whatever I get my man is something he's actually going to use. And their performance package 4.0 is absolutely giving me my money's worth. Corey loves the products so much, and he's talked a lot about it since he started using them for all of his grooming needs. Gift your man Manscaped this holiday season so he can stay trim and smooth. Help him join the 7 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped with 20% off plus free shipping with the code SMR by going to manscaped.com. Their lawnmower 4.0 trimmer features a cutting-edge ceramic blade to reduce his grooming accidents thanks to their advanced skin-safe technology. It also gives you the ability to turn the LED spotlight on and off when needed for more precise shave. A very handy <laughs> addition. Plus, it's waterproof. For the deal seekers out there, Manscaped seals the deal with two free gifts in their Performance Package 4.0, the Manscaped Boxers and the Shed Travel Pack. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code SMR at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code SMR at manscaped.com. Get him the best gift of all from Manscaped. His body will thank you, if you know what I mean. The holidays are here, and there's plenty of t-shirt cheer, thanks to our sponsor, True Classic. Ladies, don't know what to get as your gift for your man in your life? Try giving him the best fitting basic tea out there. Our friends at True Classic are on a mission to maximize men's confidence by elevating their style. Trust me when I say that this is a gift that will make your man look spicy. A gift for him, but really, it's a gift for you. And it's a gift for me, too. <laughs> 
True Classic has already helped over 2 million men look great in their tees, and now you can save big while you do so. Get 25% off True Classic with my exclusive link, trueclassic.com SMR. And the discount doesn't stop there. You'll save even more during their site-wide sale. Support our show and check them out at trueclassic.com SMR. We've all seen it. The man in our life wear the same ratty t-shirt for years. Little pit stains, micro holes, and faded color. It's a bit embarrassing, but we've learned to live with it. Let's stop making excuses for them. You can find softer comfort with better looks in so many different colors at True Classic. Corey started wearing True Classic tees before he got serious about getting in shape and dropping weight a year ago. He looked hot then in their shirts, but he's looking even more smoking hot now. Luckily, True Classic's team-designed t-shirts to make the fellas of all sizes out there feel confident in their clothing. Get 25% off at trueclassic.com SMR. Free shipping is included on purchases over $100. That's 25% off at trueclassic.com SMR. Santa won't be the only one saying thanks to True Classic. Pam, think back to the times when date night would happen. We were a young family. Mm-hmm. And it's our, you and I are at dinner and... The conversation usually revolved just around kids, work, schedules. Mm-hmm. Didn't really connect. Thanks to the sponsor, the connection cards from the Adventure Challenge, our good friends at the Adventure nice. Challenge with the books they have. Yes. They now have connection cards. And these are game changers for couples to explore outside their conversation habits. They've got two different decks of cards for you and your spouse, both the couples edition and, of course, the in-bed edition. Oh, that's fun. We especially love the embed cards. They're 50 unique questions and prompts to inspire out-of-the-box conversations to enhance your sex life with your partner. It'll be fun to take turns picking a card, asking a question, and then answering it. Whether you've been in a relationship for a few months or several years, you and your partner are certain to learn something new about each other. Order yours today at theadventurechallenge.com and get 20% off your entire order when you use our special code, SMR20. And again, it's a package of two. You get both of them, the couples edition and the in-bed cards. Perfect. So go to theadventurechallenge.com, get 20% off the entire order when you use our code SMR20. And part of what the sexual revolution tried to do is say, sex is not a big deal. Right. Kids are going to do it anyways. Right. And sometimes in the church, we bought into that idea. (laughs) Well, they're going to do it anyways. Our defining characteristic, one of the positives of purity culture is it did make the point that what we do with sex and sexuality is a big deal. It Mm -hmm. matters. Mm -hmm. That's why the Me Too movement is so devastating, or the Me Too movement is bringing out acts that were devastating. Correct. Because there's something about who we are and what we do with our sexuality. But it erred on the side of making it too big of a deal Right. in the way that I think the sexual revolution at some times did. The bottom line is, like you said, we're all responsible for our behavior. We can say no. We can love people. We can resist. Right. Let's get back to that. Yeah, and that's that's the idea. You made the comment earlier, your dad, your parents saying, even if a woman walks in front of you naked, you're still responsible for what you do. Uh, One of the most impactful statements I heard and this was actually in my church where when I was in middle school or high school, we, they actually did a sex ed class in Sunday school for several mm. weeks. 
And one of the ladies that was a nurse that was handling parts of the, the anatomy and the biology of things, she made a comment that might have been offhanded even, but it stuck that she said, fellas, not every erection has to end in ejaculation. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and it's like, good point. That is a, that is a completely valid point because sometimes huh. we think of, well, I'm aroused, therefore I must see it all the way through rather than, hmm. no, I don't need to. This is a natural reaction to stimuli, but what I do with it and see how I see it through is what matters on character and integrity that you're describing too. Mm. I, I think that's right. Oftentimes students are told, you know, it's too late. I can't stop. Right. And one example I'll say to students, I'll say, well, if you're making out with your girlfriend and your parents walk in, can you stop? <laughs> yeah, you can stop fast. <laughs> Probably so. So Probably yeah, I, I'm so. not saying this stuff is it is easy and it's just simple, you know, right. flipping a switch because right. we condition ourselves by the choices that we make, right? Like if you've never, to use your example, had an erection and not gone all the way in some fashion, then it becomes harder because you've conditioned mm -hmm. your body and we need to recondition our bodies. Correct. That's where discipline and grace comes into play. But we err on the side, like you said, of just saying we have no control as well. Right. And I think that's part of, tell me if you've seen this too, this is part of the reason why a lot of times the, the church or the brotherhood as a whole doesn't want to touch this subject because you get, there's this, you know, this ethos out there of, well, if we're talking about it, then they're going to, it's going to make it all the more tempting to want mm -hmm. to go be a part of it. Right. And like, that's one of the biggest <laughs> misconceptions if you if in my mind is like wait i'm if i talk about something sexual and the whole concept of sex and sexuality with a adolescent that's how they're going to think about that that's the only reason they're going to think about that really that hmm. that makes no sense to me it's like shouldn't we be equipping what they're already the world they're already living within so it is a really interesting point there's Two mistakes. One mistake is to say, oh, I don't want to talk about it because I'll implant ideas in their mind. Right. Right. So that's avoidance. The other one is to just talk about it all the time and only <laughs> talk about that. Well, that's also a mistake. Right. Right. I mean, the idea today with TikTok and social media and Netflix and now Disney Plus and the sexualized culture we live in, that a youth pastor or parent is going to err on the side of talking about sex and putting ideas in a kid's mind that are not there, that's just rarely going to happen today. Right. I'm far more concerned that our culture has gone far more advanced and we barely even talk about it in a way that's not relevant to their questions Right. and just leaves them kind of figuring out themselves following the script of the world. Right. So my, my parents erred on the side of talking with me young and my sisters and early in age-appropriate ways. Right. So I do this with my kids. So my son, he's 10. When he was eight, we're driving in the car, and he's the youngest, so he hears about stuff earlier, of course. And we're driving the car. He goes, Dad, what's abortion? He's eight years old. Mm -hmm. And he heard, I can't remember, maybe one of his, his older sister or someone on the playground and I could have changed the subject. I could have been like, don't talk about that. Inside, I thought, you know what? Here's an opportunity. Mm -hmm. My son is curious. In an age-appropriate way, let's address it. So mm -hmm. I said, son, sometimes women get pregnant for different reasons, decide they don't want to keep the baby. 
well, why would they do that, dad? And I just answered in age appropriate yeah. ways. Yeah. So anybody who says the fallacy you brought up earlier right. is just not clued into our culture and the question kids are asking today. Right. And so, so then let's switch it to if that was some of the negative drawback that it has made an impact on people because there's a whole, I could speak for a big chunk of Sexy Merge Radio's nation, I think, that we're impacted by that message and they're having to figure it out now later. But mm. there's also some positives when we look at how do we in infuse a more positive message of what sex and sexuality is according to the teachings of scripture, according to just good upstanding people <laughs> and societies because that's that because we have to offer something else too, right? It can't just be bad, 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 bad. Yep. You have to frame it and switch it to this is what it really is about. This is something bigger and larger. It, it's our larger culture that says Christians are either sexual bids, bigots or sexually repressed. And sadly, we've kind of taught sex in a way that just advances that false <laughs> narrative. But if we go back to the scriptures, why should anybody be sexually pure? And the answer is be holy mm -hmm. because I am holy. That's the Old Testament. We see it in First Peter. Mm -hmm. Why should we trust God? Because God is good, says Psalms 105. God is good in his character and his commands are for our good. That's why Moses says in Deuteronomy 10, Love Lord God, your heart, show mind, your strength, and follow these commands which are given for your good. So what sexual, what the purity culture did was say, oh, follow this scripture because it's for your good. Right. I'm saying, no, follow the scripture because God is good. And we love God and love others by living according to God's design. But guess what? When we do that we tend to flourish more because we're living as God designed us to live. And we see that in our culture. One of the things I love to do with students, Corey, is I'll say, what would the world be like if everybody lived the sexual ethic of Jesus? Now, before I get an answer from students, I have to define what the sexual <laughs> ethic of Jesus is. It's probably smart. That is singleness which is a beautiful way of loving God and loving others. But if you're single, you're not sexually active. Marriage, one man, one woman, one flesh, one lifetime. You're only sexually active with your spouse. Mm -hmm. What would the world be like? And students will slowly say, well, there'd be no abortion. There'd be no crude sexual humor. Hmm. There'd be no sexually transmitted diseases. There'd be no divorce. There'd be no deadbeat dads. Mm -hmm. What I've done is I'm taking this biblical truth, translating it to the real world, so to speak, connecting some dots that God's goodness mm -hmm. and God's holiness and the one who created the world wants us to experience freedom. But that only happens when we live as God designed us to live. Right. Yeah, that's that's the beauty of this message to me, Sean, is this idea of Scriptures, and th this is my personal take, that married almost 30 years, undergrad in youth and family ministry, so dabbled enough and been around it enough um, that Scriptures are not so much the rule books as a calling to something more, hmm. 
right? It like it sets the stage. And obviously there's some guidance and guardrails and some different things that because people need this. <laughs> right? We we need these things. But but most of it I think of it is it's a relationship that calls us to more, which I think is also what marriage is. It's mm. a it's a it's a relationship that calls us to more. Because it's it's hard to stay the same when you're married. Whether it's a good marriage or not, it's hard to stay the same. There's things that evolve and change in our psyche and in our nature, if you will, that impact things. It's such an interesting way to frame it. It calls us to more. And I'd follow up and it says, it calls us to more what? And I think what it's calling us to is to love other people. Right. That's what marriage is for. It's about loving God and loving other people. The way we act in the bed, married or not in the bedroom, is an extension of how we view people. If we're simply committed Mm -hmm. to loving other people, which is the more you're talking about, it's going to follow that we treat people differently. Right. So in, in my book, Chasing Love, I started off by challenging students and I ask them, I say, are you committed to something bigger than yourself? Which again, is kind of the way you said a calling to more. Right. If it is, my guess is in your life, you want to love people. Yeah. Your heart tells you, you're only going to find fulfillment when you love God and when you love other people. That's why when I signed that book, I always write Matthew 6, 33, seek ye first his kingdom and then all these things shall be added unto you. In other words, the more loving God and loving other people is building God's kingdom. That is absolutely countercultural. Our right. culture says marriage is about finding yourself, <laughs> being happy, right. finding your soulmate. Sex is about feeling good and then move on. Right. And Christianity says, no, if you get married, you are actually sacrificing yourself. And in Ephesians 5, it's like husbands follow the example of Jesus being willing to lay down your life for your wife. That's a high calling. Yes. So sadly in the church, sometimes when we've talked about sex and marriage, it's more within the script of our culture rather than a biblical script which I think ultimately resonates with people's hearts. We want to be about something bigger. We want to ultimately love people when it's all said and done, but it's only scripture that's going to show us how to really do that. Right. And because I think that's that, that's that weird conundrum of, of people. This is what I keep coming across in my practice and, and with Mm. people I do life with is when I can move myself out of the center of the universe, things (laughs) fall into place a little bit better. Mm. (laughs) Right? That it's like, I am not the cog that's holding this whole thing together, even though there's a a part of me that wants to think and believe that way and wish other people would too. But when I can adjust that, it changes the dynamic and it gives a different meaning or purpose or goal even. You know what's interesting? When we talk about satisfaction or fulfillment in sex, our culture reduces it down to something that's just physical. Right. If it feels good, do it, which is about the self. But what happens in sex when each person is thinking the way you framed it, how do I just love this other person? How do I make them feel comfortable? Mm -hmm. How do I give them appropriate pleasure? How do I just love that person? Mm -hmm. And then the other person is thinking the same, 
there's a deeper spiritual, emotional, mm -hmm. relational, and physical connection that takes place that can explain why as people get older, if they're still developing and working on their relationship, sex can be more meaningful. It does when somebody's 20 years old and they look like a model because your relationship has grown right? and you're sacrificing for that other person. Our culture doesn't understand that. No, that's not stuff that's proposed uh, often in Hollywood or magazines or billboards or commercials at all. It's mm. this idea of the more we have evolved and grown and matured, the better life actually is, the better marriage mm. actually is, the better sex actually is. Because I think that's when you start tapping into something a lot more deeper and profound than what you just described as it's just the physical act. It's like, mm. no, this is the the essence of each other, the spiritual, the mental, the emotional, the sacred. I mean, there's a whole lot going on, actually. I think that's right. I think it's even something transcendent that signals toward our relationship with God. Now, this might be open up a can, a can of worms. But I'm okay I think opening worms. Let's go. I didn't sus I suspected that you wouldn't be concerned with that. <laughs> is here's something I think Protestants can learn from Catholics is I think the Bible talks about three purposes for sex. Number one, Genesis one, make babies. Okay. Number two, Genesis two, unity, oneness, bonding. Number three is to foreshadow heaven, to anticipate heaven. Okay. Now, what do I mean by this? When you look in the Old Testament, it says Adam knew his wife Eve. Mm -hmm. In Hebrew, that's yada, it's a relational term. Sex is described in relational terms in the Bible. In our culture, it's purely physical. Right. Why is an interesting question. Well, you go back to the garden, and we are made to be in fellowship with God and others. When Adam and Eve sin, what happens? They feel shame, mm -hmm. so they hide, and they cover themselves. Mm -hmm. That's the response to shame. Well, what happens in sex? You don't hide. You come into present with somebody <laughs> and you unclothe yourself. Now, what happens is it's meant, we're meant to be naked and unashamed where you don't have to wear a mask. And amidst all of our weaknesses that we all have, which only grow as we get older right. and our insecurities, sex is not the only way. It's meant to be one way you can be naked and unashamed and love and be loved back, be known and know back mm -hmm. without barriers for who we truly are. Now, when we get to heaven, my point is not that there's sex in heaven. There's not. That's more of an Islamic view of heaven than a biblical view. But sex in this life is anticipating right. the deeper desire of the human heart, which is to know God and know other people. So when we get to heaven, God is going to see us and we will be known by God and others will see us and know us amidst all our failures, give us grace. That's the deepest right. desires of the human heart. So sex is one way, not the only way of anticipating the kind of future knownness we experience in heaven. Now, by the way, if I'm right about this, 
can we see why Satan is so intent on corrupting a oh, biblical view of sex? Absolutely. And we can also see why sometimes, because just building off something you just said in this, Sean, that yes, there's an element of physically speaking, we are naked when we have sex, but mm-hmm. I still come across and believe and see, I, I think of sex as a language, how I conduct mm. myself in a sexual act with my wife speaks mm. a lot about me and her and us. Because there's also this component of us as humans where I can be physically naked and as close as I possibly could to somebody else physically speaking, but I could be f- the farthest away from them emotionally and mentally speaking, yep. which then means I'm not being naked with them. I'm mm. just going through an act. I'm just satisfying a duty or an obligation or a pleasure or something rather than bringing all of me to the experience, which I think that's the challenge of us growing and evolving and being called to more as we're kind of talking about today. That's why I make this distinction with students. I'll say, don't confuse sex with intimacy. You can have sex with somebody and not be intimate with that person. You can be intimate with somebody without having sex. Right. But sex is meant to be a way you're intimate with somebody. So really, when you say it's a language, what we don't realize is we communicate with our bodies and we communicate with our words. Right. We actually communicate more with our bodies <laughs> than we do with our words. Absolutely. And we can all think about ways we communicate. A slap communicates something, right? A hug communicates mm-hmm. something. A kiss, depending on the kind of kiss, the forehead, the cheek, a French kiss communicates something. And sex communicates something. So arguably, sex communicates vulnerability, trust, exclusivity, and because it's a baby-making act, I would argue permanence. That's what sex communicates with the body. Mm-hmm. So if we're bodily present and don't match that with our mer- our words and with our minds, then we're actually lying with our bodies. Right, right. Because <laughs> it's a language, we're communicating something that's false. Right. And, that, and that's the challenge of growing deeper and deeper within marriage, with other people, with ourselves, of, of just this journey that we're on of discovery, of mm. what's intended, what, what would be a better way, what's an actual process. Because I, I love your idea of the statement you made early on in our conversation of it's formulaic, because I think the human nature is give me the formula. Mm. Yes. That makes it a whole lot easier because I don't have to think. I can just follow the rules, color within the numbers that I'm supposed to, in the lines I'm supposed to, jump through that hoop, and I have accomplished it. Rather than mm. when you bring an aspect of faith into this thing, when you bring an a- aspect of love into this thing, there's no formula. It's, it's, it's a process, right? It's, mm. it's a calling. It's something a whole lot deeper and more meaningful. That's really an interesting point. I think as Americans, we like formulas. Okay. But I think there's something about evangelical Christians. We like formulas. Just go to church, mm-hmm. read your Bible, and pray. Mm-hmm. That's our solution to check, everything. Check, check, done. I'm good. Yep. And all those things are good <laughs> yeah. in themselves. Yeah. But I wonder if there's not a formula because we want to, if we had a formula, we could control it. Mm-hmm. And if we controlled it, then how much is there growth? and mm-hmm. faith, and a part of this journey, and a part of this process. Right. We miss so, out on what all could, it could be. Absolutely. Yeah, I think 
I think you're onto something. Okay. Well, Sean, this this has been a real pleasure. How and I'm, we're just going to make it all one show with this. This will be a lot of fun to bless everybody. But how how can cool. people find you and learn more about the work that you do? Um, first off, thoroughly enjoyed this. I can see why you've been on the air for <laughs> eleven years. <laughs> super conversational. You asked a lot of questions people don't typically ask me. So this was fun. The time flew by. Uh, let's do it again. I think we just scratched Perfect. the surface. Absolutely. So keep up just, uh, honestly, I, I, sorry, I'm taking up time, but just an honest conversation, not to talk about, avoid the difficult things, but bringing it back to scripture is just so, so helpful. So I, I teach at Biola university. I'm a professor also at Taub school of theology and I'm just, I write books and I'm all over social media. So one hub would just be seanmcdowell.org is my website with links to everything else. Perfect. But I'm on Instagram. I use Twitter. I doubt most of your listeners are on TikTok, but I'm trying to reach a younger generation. Some are. I and know they are. That's awesome. I'm sure some are. I doubt the majority. I could be wrong, but you'd be surprised these days. Bottom line is my social media is not just cat videos trying to be funny. <laughs> It, I really look at social media as a resource to equip and challenge and encourage people right. on all those different platforms. So if a new conference comes up, a new podcast I listen to, a new book I've written, a helpful article, I just put it out there for people. So I don't just talk about sexuality. That's one larger area mm -hmm. I cover, but talk about a lot of other cultural and worldview issues as well. That's awesome. Well, Sean, thank you so much for the time uh, today, and then also just for the work and the message and the mission you have. Uh, it's 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 desperately needed. Honored to be here. Thanks, Corey. I guess it's probably safe to say that this conversation uh, is fairly appropriate. I'll, I'll speak for me. For me, the dialogue that happened today was would have been good to know <laughs> when I was twenty three. <laughs> 24. Or even earlier, potentially. Absolutely. But I'm just thinking of it like early in our marriage. Gotcha. That, yeah. you know, when, I, when we're the actually us, yeah. facing what life and married life really is, it mm -hmm. would have been good to know, oh, okay, those things that weren't spoken of, those things that I then deemed as wrong, bad, naughty, whatever, yeah, not so good. Oh, for sure. I mean, that was one of the biggest issues for us early on. For me in particular, um, well, this is nasty. I'm not supposed to do X, Y, Z. Right. Or I don't know that it was a not supposed to. I just thought, I don't want to do that. Or I just, I, I wasn't interested in talking about it or approaching it because right. it just wasn't something that Neither of us could good. have done Sexy Marriage Radio back then. Oh, no. <laughs> well, how many people that are... We were. Tw I was 20 and you were 22 when Absolutely. we got married. Absolutely. But even, you know, 25, 26, 27, because some of the things he points out in our conversation um, was just the idea of there is such a vast void still that needs to be addressed and needs to be flipped to where... You see it as good well, and a blessing. Yeah, it goes back to the open conversations with the kids, opens them up. And I and I was looking at that going, well, open conversations with spouses opens it up, right? I, mm -hmm. I was not even willing to have an open conversation with my spouse when we first got married. I, I wasn't mm -hmm. willing to have that open conversation. And I'm sure a lot of people that are listening, are, that's an issue for them as well. Uh, but that's 
but that's real. And when you can start breaking past some of the little barriers to have the frank conversations, well, that opens up other opportunities. Absolutely, it does. And so, hence the importance of Sexy Marriage Radio and the nation yeah. and a lot of the guests and information we have. Yeah. Well, and there may be people listening that they're here, hear the purity movement and didn't really know all the details behind it, right? Right. What, what's, what's positive, what's negative behind it? And I think identifying some of those things help each of us identify if that's something we went through and then we can put a, that kind of like lets you point a finger at, oh, that trigger that right. helps me understand something from my uh, brain well, sure. for me for it for that movement to have been focused more on how the girls dress and the girls behavior that I identify with that right of the message that was spoken to me right and let's face it Pam let's for a moment as we're wrapping up today let's take the church culture out of it everybody comes into sex and their sexuality with some anxiety yeah that's just a given yeah. because there's this element of I'm heading into uncharted waters. I'm heading into something I could be really excited about, but there's also this other side of the coin of, I got no clue. I'm nervous. I'm anxious. I don't know. I, you know, there's mm-hmm. just all these variables at play. And so, and when it gets compounded, it's so important, I think, to have messages like this that show, wait, this is something that needs to be talked about this Mm -hmm. something we could talk about it better Mm -hmm. it's something that's a a benefit to everyone Mm -hmm. that's involved and and it can even be a blessing to more if we can learn to talk about it more and pass it along and be more comfortable with ourselves take ownership of it yeah well if you like the show you can help us out by rating and reviewing smr on apple podcasts spotify or however you listen your comments help us spread the word about the show and they help others frame their conversations so that they can have a life that is a lot more passionately married. Transcripts are available on the show notes in each of the episode's pages. All our advertisers' deals and discount codes are also on each of the episode's pages at smrnation.com. Please consider supporting those who support the show. Greatest compliments you can give us is to share the show with those that you care about and have the conversations like we're talking about today in your household and with your friends. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.